0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and his church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. I'm Scott. I know a lot of you, some of you I don't know. Uh, I'm the pastor at Christ Church. It's a joy to have you all with us this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we... We do rise to praise all of your works in earth and sky and sea, perfect in love and power and purity. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would take us into a deeper dimension of who you are as the one true God this morning. For, the, for those of us who have been following you a long time, I pray that you would spark or rekindle a first love for you, an attraction to you. For those of us here who have a lot of questions, who maybe don't you to do this, Lord. Not me, maybe even for the first time. And we trust you to do this, Lord. Not me, not any of us. We trust you to reveal yourself to us. Come in our midst this morning, Heavenly Father. And all God's people said, Amen. Um, Today is Trinity Sunday, which is the last of our three great feasts, which has been a blast, right? This has been fun. Uh, First, we had Ascension Sunday because our church calendar follows the life of the church. Then we had Pentecost uh, last week, and we celebrated the coming of the Holy Spirit. And this week is the Feast of the Holy Trinity. And uh, the theology of the Trinity has a reputation of being really tricky to understand and super out there. um, But as I've heard somebody say, the Trinity is a mystery. It's not an absurdity. Uh, If you're new to Christianity, the basic idea that which the scriptures and Jesus himself reveal to us is that God is one. So there's only one God, but that the one true God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God is three divine persons who share one divine nature. There aren't three gods, there's just one God, but he exists in three persons. And if you're hearing that and you're going, no, that sounds more absurd than it does mysterious, uh, I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of the doctrine of the Trinity this morning, but I do have a resource for you if you want it. Uh, there's a book called Delighting in the Trinity by a guy named Tim Chester. You can come ask me about that later. I love this book. It's small. Uh, it made me weep and love God more, and it's really good if you're like, I don't get this at all. That's a that's a great resource. But what I do want to do now is focus on specific ways that I think we need to recover uh, an understanding of the doctrine of the Trinity and who God is as one in three persons. For a lot of us, whether you're a Christian or you're just visiting this morning, the doctrine of the Trinity is something that can kind of live on the fringes of our faith. So at the doctrinal family reunion, the doctrine of the Trinity is like the weird, socially awkward, like brilliant uncle you don't really wanna get into a conversation with. Uh, it's like, dude, he's just gonna start talking about weird stuff, you're gonna be lost and your hot dog's gonna get cold. Um, But what many folks have said, I will say again, and that is that the Trinity is the center of everything for us. It's not something that sits at the fringes or should sit at the fringes. It's the center of everything. So things like our salvation, our worship of God, our humanity, our access to God, practical daily life, all hinges entirely on the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three in one. And now, actually, I think more than ever, our world needs to be reintroduced to the Trinity. Uh, I think we have a lot of cultural crises that we're in right now. Crises, whatever the plural form of crisis is. What is it? Crises, crises. you know, whatever. It's hard to say. I think we have a lot of those, whatever they are, um, that have to do with the fact that we have become out of touch with our Creator, who is three in one. So, I put this in your bulletin. Uh, Three reasons why the world needs to recover the doctrine of the Trinity. Three reasons why we need to worship and know the triune God. Number one, the triune God is a community of love. The triune God is a community of love. Uh, I think a problem we're culturally experiencing is that all of us, regardless of your political or denominational affiliations, we long to be a part of a community rooted and grounded in love, but we have no model. We all desire it. I don't need to prove this to you that we're all, we all want this in our culture, but we struggle to agree on or define what that would look like. What's our compass for that? Is it something in the past that we're trying to emulate? Is it something that we're trying to build in the future? Um, the idea of love has this way of getting really slippery and hard to pin down or nail down. And if we're not careful, it can become nationalism or politics or sex or feelings or whatever it is, and it just gets really hazy. So here's a quote from C.S. Lewis, and it's a, it's a long one, but it's a really good one, and it has to do with this idea of kind of the haziness of love and the trinity. It's going to get us back to the community of love. He says, all sorts of people are fond of repeating the Christian statement that God is love, but they seem not to notice that the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. If God was a single person. Then, before the world was made, he was not love. Of course, what these people mean when they say that God is love is often something quite different. They really mean love is God. They really mean that our feelings of love, however and wherever they arise, and whatever results they produce, are to be treated with great respect. Perhaps they are, but that is something quite different from what Christians mean by the statement, God is love. They believe that the living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. Amen? And that, by the way, and that, by the way, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions. That in Christianity, God is not a static thing. Not even a person. But a a dynamic, pulsating activity. A life almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance, which is why we had a square dance last night, to celebrate the perichoretic life of the Trinity. That was a geek out for a second there. Great quote. What's he getting at? The Trinity, God himself, is a community of love, and he's our model. He's our compass. So the God of the Bible is not a solitary own, and he's power hungry. This is a mistake that some Christians make. It's a mistake that some other religions, I think, have made. The God of the Bible is also not a pantheon, a ton of different gods who are all fighting each other and look like us. And they mess with humanity sometimes. Uh, We've seen this kind of projection as well. That's just us projecting ourselves into heaven. The God of the Bible is not an essence. He's not just an impersonal force. Like C.S. Lewis said, How could an essence teach us how to love? Love is relational between people. No, the God of the Bible is revealed to us as three persons who have loved each other perfectly for all eternity. Only the God of Bible is a God of love. And so what I want us to do now is peer into that relationship. What would it be like to look into that community and to see how God loves the persons in and of himself? That chorus we sang, Let us adore him. Let us behold him. That's what I want us to do now, and then see what that means for us. Sounds good? First, I want us to think about how the Father loves the Son. Turn with me to your gospel reading this morning that Michelle read. She crushed it. That was a long reading. She killed it. Um, What page is it on? Page 8. This is one of the greatest moments in all of Scripture. This is Jesus talking to the Father. Uh, and we get this opportunity to kind of peer into their relationship. Look at verse 24 in particular. You guys there? Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is God the Son speaking to God the Father. He says that the Father has loved him since before the foundation of the world. That means that before anything even yet existed, the Son was eternally soaking in the divine, warm, electric love of the Father. Think about that for a second. And when the Son became flesh and dwelt among us, nothing changed. Do you know there are only two times in Jesus' life that God the Father chooses to speak into the world? Only two times. The first is at Jesus' baptism. When Jesus comes up out of the water, the Father says, You, speaking to Jesus, you are my beloved Son. You know what he says next? With you I am well pleased. Second, at his transfiguration, guess what he says? The only other time God the Father chooses to speak, He says this. He's talking to the world now. Is my beloved Son? Listen to Him. The Father decides audibly to speak only twice in the New Testament in Jesus's ministry, and both times, what does He say? I love my Son. Amen. I love my son. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? Stand up next to you in public, put their arm on you and say, I love you. I'm so pleased with you. I love you so much I could bust. I want everyone here to know how great my love is for you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if your dad did that in public? If you've ever experienced anything even close to that, do you remember what it did to you? It gives you wings, right? More than Red Bull. It fills you up. Makes your heart grow sizes like the Grinch. It literally reorients your insides. You guys know what I'm talking about when you receive that kind of love and affirmation from somebody? That's what God does for Jesus in his life in front of the entire world. That's the thing he chooses to say twice. I'm the Father. I love my son, just so everybody knows. Jesus comes up out of the water. I just love that image of him coming up out of the water under just the deluge of God's affirmation. And he does it twice, on mountaintops and in baptisms. And the claim that Jesus is making in John 17 is that just didn't happen there. He had been experiencing that eternally. I've never thought about this before this week, um, but I think this is why Jesus is so insanely secure in his ministry. He's so confident. His ministry is insane. People are chucking stuff at him all the time. They're trying to kill him. They're slandering him. His friends are betraying him. He's unflinching. He's unflappable because I think he is so securely, eternally loved. To try to get at this, uh, I want to turn us to The Princess Bride real quick, because The Princess Bride is where you find most theology of the Trinity, uh, right? No. Uh, if you've not seen it, it's a fairy tale. It's a movie. It's a classic about a princess and a guy who fall in love. Uh, but then the guy Wesley has to leave, and Princess Buttercup, which is actually her name, is really heartbroken. Uh, but years later, when Wesley comes back for her, and he fights giants and does all kind of hilarious stuff to get to her, uh, Buttercup sees him, and she sees the power of his love, that he really does truly love her. And she said, the reality and the greatness again, right? You guys tracking with me for those of you who've seen it? The reality and the greatness of Wesley's love did something inside of her. Something clicked. It changes her on the inside. So that, and I take this scene dead seriously. I think it's actually really beautiful. At the end of the movie, when the bad guy is trying to shake her up and says, well, Wesley's dead, she doesn't even flinch. She said, no, he's not. Why is there fear in your eyes? She's so confident. She's so secure in Wesley's love. Track with me. I know this is a stupid example. <laughs> she's so secure. She's unflinching. And the fact that she's so secure makes the bad guy even more mad because he can't shake her. Okay. Okay. That's a ridiculous example and that's a fairy tale. The gospels are neither ridiculous or fiction, amen? When you look at Jesus in the gospels, I've never really thought about this before before this week. You are looking at a man who is utterly loved, perfectly the recipient of love. We think about Jesus loving us a lot. We worship that in Jesus, but do you ever think about how much Jesus is the recipient of his father's love? They slander his mother in the gospels. Uh, They they tell him that the God and everything he believes in is complete nonsense. They try to shake him up. They literally try to kill him multiple times. Jesus is unflappable. He doesn't flinch ever because he's so confident in the father. He's so confident in his love. He's been receiving the father's love for all of eternity. So he's looking at these people and he's like, you don't know the father, but I do. I know the father, amen? Isn't that amazing? Jesus says in John 3, the Father loves the Son. That's Jesus talking, and has given all things into his hand. The Father says when he has the chance, you, speaking eye to eye with Jesus, you are my beloved. You are the Son whom I love. Oh my goodness. The Father loves the Son. Now let's think about how the Son loves the Father. It just gets better and better. Jesus matches the Father's love, tit for tat. He loves him just as much back. In our reading this morning, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. That what? So that the Son can glorify you. He just like takes it, and he throws it right back at the Father. Jesus is constantly talking about, in the Gospel of John in particular, if if you're familiar with the Bible How all he wants to do is his father's will. All he wants to do is whatever he says. He wants to do whatever he's telling him. You guys notice this? And this makes complete relational sense, right? If you were that loved, you would want to please and love back, right? Here are some quotes from Jesus in the Gospel of John. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone. You hear that confidence, that security? I know the Father. The Father loves me. You can't shake me because I always do what pleases him. Isn't that amazing how how God says, I'm so pleased with you? And Jesus is like, all I want to do is please you. My nourishment, this is Jesus, comes from doing his will who sent me and finishing his work. Here's the kicker. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus is saying, literally, why I'm doing all this, why I do my Father's will, is so that all of us will know just how great my love is for my Father. Isn't that amazing? Marissa and I have talked so much about that verse. That's meant so much to us. One of the things the Father asked the Son to do was die on the cross for the salvation of the world. And we know that the cross is the great objective demonstration of God's love for us. But taking a cue from Jesus, it is also right to say that the cross is a demonstration of the Son's love for the Father. No one took Jesus' life. Jesus is really clear. He says, I laid it down of my own volition, but that was an act of love, not only for us, but out of obedience to the Father for the joy set before him. Jesus loves the Father. He has confidence in him. He trusts him. And his love is also eternal and has existed before the foundation of the world. Again, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So the Father loves the Son. Oh, my goodness. The Son loves the Father. What about the Holy Spirit? Paul something that great Christian thinkers, Paul included, gets to this, um, but something that people have seen throughout history is that in the life of the Trinity, even though it's more mysterious, the Holy Spirit is the mutual love between the Father and the Son. To put it in another way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the vehicle of God's love. It's like God's love personified, God's love on the move Paul says in Romans 5 that God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in our lives literally takes the, the divine love of God and like pours it into your being. And the Bible's saying that the Spirit doesn't just do that between us and, the, and God. He does that between the Father and the Son. An amazing picture of this is actually Jesus' baptism. Jesus comes out of the water and God... Says his love over Jesus. You're my beloved. I love you so much. But where's the Spirit? The Spirit, in the form of a dove, is descending on Jesus in between the Father and the Son. The Triune God is a community of love. Even a taste. Watching the surface here. I know. I know there's a lot of questions about the Trinity, but I hope you just get even a taste. Uh, even a morsel. I feel like that's personally happening for me too. Just a taste of what actually is existing in the, the personhood of God, the community of love that he is. He's not some authoritarian divine warlord. He's not an essence. He's not chaotic. He is a community of perfect love. Now, what does this mean for us? Oh my gosh, it means everything. Everything. Um, But just for starters, you desire to be in a relationship with others. And you desire to give and receive love because you were created by the triune God. You quite literally are a byproduct of their love. You were born out of their love. And we all desire to participate in a community of love because God created us to do that, he himself is a community of love. He wants us to experience the same thing, amen? This is where you come from. This is what you were created for. This is the explanation of why we long for it so much. So apart from the triune God, we're lost. We need the Trinity. We need to know him and worship him because he is our compass, he's our model for love for what it means to be in community together. He's the fountainhead of all love and relationships. He's the blueprint of love for all creation. The Bible has this theme that we become like what we worship. And other people notice this too, who are, aren't just Christians. You become like what you're constantly gazing into and studying or worshiping. When we replace God and the Trinity for especially our conception of love for anything else, whether that's feelings or sex or nationalism or political ideology, whatever it might be for you, uh, it will change us and shape us, but it will not lead us into divine love. There's no past society in history that can be our model for what it means to be in a community of love. There's no future one that hasn't yet existed that we're building that is an ideal, If anything, history should teach us that that's not possible, right? And I think those are the false promises of the cultural right and left. It's either promising that we can go back or go forward. Our only hope is the trying God because he's where we come from, amen? And when we peer into him and his love and his beauty, we become like him it begins to shift things around in us like buttercup. Um, Let me give you an example of this. I had a really hard dad week this week. I have two boys. And uh, I felt like I was being short with my kids. I didn't know what to do. I was frustrated. I felt like I was a bad dad. All over the place. But then I started, just in my sermon prep, peering into the ways that the father loves the son. And it just did something to me. All of a sudden, I had these new unlocked levels of energy and life in my heart through which to love my son because I was peering into the Father's love. I had an example. It started shifting things around in me. I couldn't act the way I was before. It changed me. Our worship and our adoration of the Trinity, it does that to you in all of life. It changes you. God's love in himself comes inside of you. The triune love, the triune God is a community of love, and we need him. Amen? That's why we have Trinity Sunday. That's why we have barn dances. Hallelujah. Um, now, you might notice there are two, two more points in your bulletin, and I'm not going to take as long on these, but I have to give you the two points. I kind of would just stop there, but having an outline point that you don't fill is like having to sneeze and not be able to. It's just the worst, Okay. So I'm going to give them to you and I'm going to say them because I think they're so important. And I honestly, I think this is such a huge thing. I would love to maybe do a sermon series on this sometime or we can study it in some small groups or something. But second reason I think the world needs the Trinity is that the triune God is a community of unity and diversity. The triune God is a community of unity and diversity. Uh, To give you a two-minute ride on what the Bible so beautifully talks about, I think one of our great problems that we have currently and probably we've always had is we struggle to reconcile our, our oneness, our desire for unity with one another, with our differences from one another. We struggle to reconcile those two things. Sometimes we overemphasize our unity at the expense of our diversity and our different stories, Sometimes we overemphasize our distinctions at the expense of our unity. And I think a lot of our cultural, political conversations are doomed from the start because that has become to us an irreconcilable problem. We struggle to grip that. We totally all feel the need to be individuals, and we all feel the desire to be a part of one another, to be one. You guys feel me? And guess where that desire comes from? The trinity. Because we were created by a God who is himself a unity and a diversity. God is one, but the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are distinct. They're all completely equal, completely God, but they do different things. They even express their love differently. They're even a part of the relationship in a different way. I think we need this so bad. Remember, our church is one body and many members. We're meant to imitate him. And we can only achieve that dance, that beautiful dance, when we worship the triune God, when we study him and come to adore him and let him change us from the inside out instead of anything else. That would be a model for us on that. The world needs the trinity. Is that but finally, and this is where we'll land, the third reason the world needs the trinity is that the triune God is a community of invitation. So the triune God is a community of love. He's a community of unity and diversity. And then the kicker is that he's a community of invitation. This is where it gets absolutely crazy. Um, The Trinity is not some amazing relationship that we just watch and then try to emulate. It gets way better than that. Turn with me back to your gospel reading. This is really important. So go to page 20. Or sorry, verse 20 on page whatever. John 17, verse 20. you guys there again this is Jesus speaking to the father I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word and by the way that's you and me that's a whole sermon in itself Jesus's conversation between him and the father a long time ago has proven true I believe in God the father amen because of Jesus Verse 21, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Uh, What? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus will finish his prayer by saying a similar thing. The very end, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. Praise God, he's doing that still today. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them. What? God's dance of divine love between Father and Son and Holy Spirit is so big and so powerful and so moving. Do you see it? I feel like Jesus is doing this circle of just beautiful words and theology in that prayer, and it just starts spilling out. The glory starts spilling out to the people. His love starts spilling out to the people. It just starts fanning out everywhere. Do you guys catch that? Before, when we were talking about the Father's love, did any of you feel a pang of sadness? I felt this. Did any of you think, man, I wish I could experience love like that? Nobody's ever stood up in front of people and said they loved me. I'm starving to be a part of a community of love. I'm starving to experience something similar to that. Man, if that's you, in this prayer, Jesus is taking your hand and he wants to pull you right under God's waterfall of his love, amen? It's for you. It is for you. Jesus says, without blinking, He means what he says, that the way that the Father has loved the Son also is for us. He wants to invite us into his community of love. That is the gospel. That is the the crazy, insane claim of Christianity that God is inviting us in. This is also a difference between God and any other types of gods. God takes his precious community and he opens it up to us. He has created us to join in the dance. Even when we had turned inward, even when we have hated instead of loved, even when we have divided instead of unified, even when we have grappled for power, smeared our distinctions, God came and died on the cross so that we could join in the dance once again. His love came after us in a Trinitarian way. The Father what the world in John three sixteen, The Father so loved the world that he what? He gave his only Son. The Son loved us so much, he died on the cross. And as Paul said, the Holy Spirit has poured that same love into our bodies, into our hearts. Even the way you experience love is Trinitarian. Isn't that cool? Love flows from the Father we see it demonstrated in the sun and we experience it, even now, maybe there's a new kindling of something in your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is not a click. He's not inaccessible. God is a community of invitation. He opens himself wide up to even people like me, which is insane. And guess what happens when you worship a God like that? when you let it change you on the inside. You want to open yourself up, right? It'd be really hard for you to be selfish with your relationships or protective or whatever when you are worshiping the triune God because he is so insanely invitational. He loves inviting people into the dance. So you were created not to just experience the dance of love with other humans, even though we are. You were, you were created to participate in God's community of love, Amen. We need, and the world needs, the Trinity. We're created in his image, and we are lost without him. So now what we're going to do is we're all going to stand up, and we're going to confess that we believe in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.